Window World is proud to present Kevin Keatsman Has Issues. Simply the best for less at windowskansascity.com. Well, you're in for a real treat on this episode of KKHI. Doug Billings will be our guest. He's the host of The Right Side with Doug Billings. It is a global, national and global podcast based right here in Kansas City. And Doug has been in and around media and Kansas City his entire life. He went to Grandview High School and UMKC. He worked in radio for a little while way back in the day before starting a corporate career as an executive, basically in human resources. He worked at Sprint Corporation, then in the medical industry, and he's got a great story to tell over why he left, how he was out during COVID-19. Imagine that. If you were in the medical field, COVID-19 for most people in the medical field was an absolute goldmine. Your career would blossom. The stock prices went through the roof. The companies made a fortune. And Doug Billings is such a rock-solid conservative that he's got a great story to tell about how that basically ended his corporate career. So a couple of years ago, Doug Billings set out to do what I did, and that is start a podcast. And it started slow, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And he has listeners all over the country. It's not really a Kansas City podcast. It is mostly, completely conservative politics. He models his career after the great Rush Limbaugh. It is a video podcast, and you can see it most days at DougBillings.us. That's where Doug is every single day. He's the host of the Right Side Broadcast. He's a very interesting man. We've got a wide variety of topics to talk about here, as he now has millions of downloads, and what he calls is his slogan, rooting out snowflakes and rhinos, one at a time. we got a lot to talk about today with Doug Billings, who lives right here in Kansas City. Somebody you may or may not have heard of, but it is a podcast you're definitely going to want to watch, listen to, or check out. This is going to be really fun. It is all brought to you by Fry Orthodontics online at fryorthodontics.com. Dr. Jeremy was texting me during the Super Bowl. He had a great time with his family during the Super Bowl as the Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles. He's such a big sports fan and, of course, a great orthodontist. Dr. Fry and his team have 13 locations around the metro area to create your smile for life, whether you're an adult who's been putting it off for years or you have a teenager in your life that needs to get that perfect smile for life, Invisalign is the same price as braces. Online, schedule your first appointment free, fryorthodontics.com. Doug Horn and Associates at the Horn Law Firm, he's just a tremendous injury lawyer. If you've been in an accident, I had a friend who had a daughter in a little fender bender here recently, not the kind of thing where you really need an attorney. There's no injury. There wasn't major damage to the car, and that's always a blessing. When that big wreck occurs and somebody gets hurt, or if you get cars that are totaled and they can't determine who's at fault and you're trying to decide that, you need Doug Horn on your side. It can be overwhelming. Even if you're just dealing with your insurance company, this can be overwhelming when you're in an accident. Doug Horn has 32 years of experience and an unbelievable track record of success in Kansas and Missouri. His offices are in Independence, but Doug and Horn Law are both highly rated and reviewed. What I like about it is you're going to speak with Doug. He's not some hype man. He is very professional, very smart, and incredibly accomplished in this field. Let him be your advocate when the time comes. If you know somebody that's dealing with something like this from an accident and they're not getting satisfaction doing it the way they're doing, make the call to Horn Law. 816-795-7500 or log on to hornlaw.com. And Great Life KC, it's almost golf season. And you might be thinking about a golf and fitness membership in Kansas City. Of course, you know Great Life has six classic member courses from Leavenworth to Blue Springs around the metro area, all for one low price. Or join one of their signature clubs. 
Canyon Farms, Prairie Highlands, Staley Farms, Falcon Ridge, or Tallgrass Club in Wichita. They even have destination courses like Osage National at the Lake of the Ozarks. If you'd like more information about joining for one low price and playing all the golf you want this year, shoot an email to join at greatlifegolf.com. That's join at greatlifegolf.com and make this the year you finally play more golf. Doug Billings is here, host of The Right Side with Doug Billings. You are in for a treat. You're going to love this on KKHI. Hit it! The KK Has Issues Conversation is presented by Buck Roofing. Online at rbuckroofing.com. Sleep well knowing Buck Roofing fixed the roof over your head. Well, it's a real pleasure to have Doug Billings on the podcast. He is, of course, the host of The Right Side. We've talked about that a little bit. I got a great chance to meet him a couple months ago at an event here in Kansas City. He's a great Kansas City. He's doing great work for conservatives everywhere with The Right Side podcast. His website is dougbillings.us. A great Kansas City and fighting the good fight. Doug, how are you, sir? Kevin, it is uh, Super Bowl Chiefs Kingdom Monday. What a day, what a week, what a game. I'm doing great, brother. How are you? Man, that was absolutely remarkable. And we're going to get deep into politics and how we can save America. But we all feel great that the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. And I, I really, I've really, i seen a lot of memes and things on social media after the game of Patrick Mahomes um, pointing to the sky, praising God. He said a lot of things this past week about his religion, that he wants to glorify God in everything that he does. We've heard a lot of this out of the NFL since DeMar Hamlin was injured last month. What do you make of this, that all of a sudden the NFL and Christianity are so combined? Well, I think, you know, and you bring up a good point, Kevin. I I think that this is evidence of the obvious. There are, if you look at, and I just did a show earlier today, where I talked about American football is really a microcosm of the American Republic, where we look at overcoming adversity and challenges, trying to become the best version of ourselves, camaraderie, teamwork, et cetera, pulling together in tough times. The, the DeMar Hamlin event, the heart attack, the young, when he suffered that event, you know, the NFL prior to that really, and probably what could be considered a bad PR move, really shunned religion. They don't, they don't like overt expression of prayer or devotion. And so, but every one of those, I mean, I, I, I have to go book and back and look at the tape, but almost every one of the players, when that accident, when that heart attack happened, uh, almost every one of the Buffalo Bills players for sure were on the field kneeling in prayer and a good, uh, a good number of the other team there uh, was, was kneeling as well. And I think it was a turning point and it proves that, you know, there's, there's a certain segment of our population that is angry with the NFL that, that goes back to the days a few years ago with the Colin Kaepernick issue with kneeling for the national anthem and so forth and so on. And they, they harbor this resentment and they somehow view the NFL and its players as woke or as unpatriotic and so forth. I, I'm here to tell you that the vast majority of players on the field, and I would I would wager to say even the vast number of people in the hierarchy within the NFL and the coaching staffs of every team are good Christian people and they believe in God and they have a faith and they want to project their, their, uh, their talent in a way that would honor God. And that's what we heard Patrick Mahomes say last night. And I, I, I don't know where this, this anger comes from this, you know, certain areas of the, of the NFL, I agree that we, we all can change. We've all improve, uh, uh, you know, People are angry about the black national anthem and so forth and so on, that kind of thing. For me, that was part of a pregame show. I understand this country has one national anthem, uh, but there's so many other things in this country to get worked up about. 
an entertainment piece and a segment of a pre-show, a pre-game show at the Super Bowl doesn't seem like that would be one of the things that I would spend a lot of time on losing sleep over. However, to your point, many, many, many of these players are Christian men who are um, engaging in what I, I think is becoming better um, engaging in camaraderie, teamwork, and that echoes and harkens back to what America is all about. And so I take my hat off to the team. Chiefs, you know, I've been a lifelong Chiefs fan, so it's a good day for us, Kevin. That, you know, the, the, no matter what side you're on, I think that we have to admit that uh, this this is a good thing, that we have seen something shift here publicly in the NFL, whereby we now can express uh, a sign of faith uh, on the field. And I think that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And and you mentioned the black national anthem and I don't get too worked up over it either. It was well in advance of the start of the game, but I did mention to my wife, Jessica, the other day, Doug, I know you got a chance to meet her a couple of months ago when we, when we first met in person. And I said, I, I, we were watching some of this coverage bef- well before the game. And I don't know what the story was, but it was something with black history month or whatever. And I, I said, you know what, Jessica, I just, I just want one day Now, I consume a lot of media, so it's hard for me to get away from this, and I know you do too. I just want one day of a break where I don't hear anything about race in this country. And I'm not talking specifically about blacks, okay? Just one day, let's take a break, and let's just be Americans. I think the biggest problem we have is we all want to identify as something else. Why, Doug, can we not just identify as Americans? Yeah, you're... That's the question of the day, the question of the hour, probably the question of, of our lifetimes. Why do we, it seems as if it takes some sort of a tragedy. So, you know, you know that, that DeMar had the heart attack on the field. We were not white, black, or Asian, or Latino, or whatever. We were all Americans praying for a kid who was in a terrible situation. And we, and we knelt and we prayed. We saw, I don't know if it was ESPN or NFL Today or whatever I was watching where their sportscaster prayed on national television. And uh, it, it should not have to take a tragedy to unite us as Americans. I agree with you. All right. Before we get into some uh, political topics here that I've got for you, tell me a little bit about the Right Side podcast and how you started this. You're beginning your third year. You went back to your broadcast roots after a long corporate career in human resources. And I know that you worked for Sprint for a while and then the medical industry. And then you had an epiphany when COVID happened and you were in the medical industry and yeah. now you're back to podcasting and it's going great, right? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, um, you know, the, I, I think all of us, I would assume you do too. We, we, each of us that approach life from the Christian perspective, uh, we, we feel called to do certain things in life. We, we feel the, the hand of God in our life, the calling of God. I, I've, I've felt that throughout my life. No matter what industry I've been in, I've always felt as if I was called to be there uh, because God had called me. So, yeah, I, I born and raised in Kansas City and went to UMKC after graduating from Grandview High School, go Bulldogs, and got into, I paid my way through UMKC working at Q104 when it was a top 40 station back in the day. Did you work with Randy and, Miller? I did work with Randy Miller. Oh, what and, a uh, wild man. Bobby, Bobby Day and a uh, guy that used to go by the name of Chuck Nasty. Oh, oh my sure. gosh, I could go to so many of those names. And uh, paid my way through UMKC, got in uh, to HR after that and spent 20 some odd years uh, in HR, rose up through the ranks. And ended up the last few years as the VP of HR in a, in a company that owns hospitals throughout the country. And when COVID hit, 
uh, I looked at the data to make a very long story short. I was, I looked at the data. I had our staff look, this was back in the day when they were saying 10,000 people have died from COVID. And I go, wait a minute, we're panicking because 10,000 people have died. You want to put 10,000 people in Arrowhead stadium? Let's do that. You'd say, well, there's the staff. Now what about the fans? it's, It's such a small number in the grand scheme of things. But it, it was the number that caused everybody to go into this panic, and they wanted me as the HR guy to write policies that would sequester and mandate and keep people away from preventative care and so forth. And I said, I, I, look, here, I'm going to show you the data, folks. And the data is telling me of the 10,000 people that died, we had access to 7,000 of the uh, the death certificates from the 10,000. And of those 7,000, Kevin, that, that they said had died of COVID, when COVID was the primary cause, only 125 of those 7,000 died from COVID mm. when it was the primary cause of death. Everything else was the story you probably heard before. Oh, the guy was in a motorcycle wreck, but he had COVID, yep. so let's list that. And so at any rate, I just said, no, I'm not going to mandate it. The data doesn't back it up. This is not what it's what you're claiming it is. And I was promptly fired <laughs> for, wow. for that. And I then said, well, people need to know the truth. And I converted a spare bedroom here in my house where I'm sitting now and created the studio on the right side with Doug Billings. And it took about six or seven months for it to get its legs. But we, we get about 4 million people a month that listen to the darn thing. And it's, it's not me. I, I, I go back and I say, this is, this is people that are hungry to hear the truth, to hear a little bit of humor mixed in with it. And we don't get too radical on either side of the fence. We try to keep everything in, as I say, in the realm of reality. And we stay out of Cookville. There's a lot of kooks out there that claim all sorts of things, but we, we give the truth as we see it. And it's just been, a, it's been incredible for the last three years. I appreciate you bringing it up. Well, for those that don't know, Doug is a handsome man. And so he does the video podcast <laughs> and you can watch it every day when he puts it up and he does some really interesting things. Um, your style is not unlike Rush Limbaugh. I think you probably model your work after him as most people in our industry in one way or another have, as I became a sports talk host, I modeled what I was doing after the way Rush did news and politics. How much of an influence was Rush Limbaugh? And did you get a chance to meet him or know him at all? He was an influence, and I did meet him. I met him twice, once in person back. uh, Remember, Kevin, when George Brett was inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Rush, having worked for the Royals in his early career, he and George Brett were were great friends. And he came to Kansas City and Anyway, I believe it was, I can't recall the golf tournament. It may have been one of Tom Watson's golf tournaments. But at any rate, I'm, I'm looking at a picture right here that I got from Rush. He autographed it to me. We had a chat. And this was, you know, I was only, I'd only just left and graduated UMKC. So it was way back in the day. And then the, the two months prior to his death, I was on his show as a caller. Not, not as, now he didn't invite me as a guest, but as a caller. And I just explained to him that given everything that he had been going through with cancer and so forth, and my, my opinion of him was that, you know, there's, there's certain definitions of the meaning of life that people have wrestled with throughout time and since antiquity, really. But I, I told him, I said, in my opinion, Rush, the meaning of life is that we are called to enter into the lives of others to make differences for the better. And you have fulfilled that meaning and that calling in life. You have entered into the lives of others to make profound differences for the better. And he, I think, was genuinely touched. I have the recording of that. And he spent about 15 minutes with me talking about that. And uh, and I just am happy that, you know, he died two months later. I'm happy that, that I got a chance to tell him that when he was going through what he was going through. And he was a profound impact, and I've had many people, General Flynn, Glenn Beck, 
when I met President Trump, even he said, you know, you remind me of Rush. And that's always a high honor. And I'm always quick to say there will never, ever, ever, ever be another Rush Limbaugh, ever. But to be mentioned in that breath and to, to, to think that I remind people of him uh, is a high honor and a, and a blessing. Well, the best way to hear or see The Right Side with Doug Billings podcast, just go to DougBillings.us, folks. It's a great site. Go there and you'll find out that he has a good slogan, that he is rooting out snowflakes and rhinos equally, both sides of the aisle. You you want those some of the lame Republicans to be called out as well. I love that. Rooting out snowflakes and rhinos. That's your mission. It is. And with, on our side, you know, a snowflake isn't necessarily a liberal or a Republican. A snowflake is someone who, you know, we, we look at, and I'll just use the Super Bowl as an example. In the morning after, there's always people that will look to, oh, my God, that call. He didn't hold him. Oh, my, you know, he, that shouldn't have been called. This is the Super Bowl. you got to let him play. Well, it, we hear that all the time. I mean, people, we got that when we played Cincinnati, when, when the late hit happened on Mahomes. Oh, gosh, you know, it's the penalties. It's the umps. It's whatever. So here's the thing. Football is a microcosm of the American society. We have to overcome tragedy, adversity, and challenges in life. That's just the way of life. And any one event, I mean, any number of us in this audience, your audience, can look at any event in their life that might have been a challenge, a tragedy, or an adversity. And you can't blame it. You can't, you can't sit back and cast blame. You have to pick yourself up. You have to march on. And the snowflakes just don't get that. They just want to bemoan an outside force. Oh, it's his fault, or it's their fault. Or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I don't have to agree that you're right. I, and they can't do it. And they, and they get in this entanglement of just nonsense. Um, the liberals play it out dramatically. Now we as conservatives have the advantage because we can, we can reason with ourselves and with others and we can look at adversity, challenge and tragedy and understand and wrap our head around the fact that there are blessings waiting to be born from all of that. When we go through tragedy or challenge adversity, we get better as a person, as a human being, on the other side of that. Liberals, for liberals, that, that doesn't compute. When, they, when things don't go their way, or they're faced with an adversity, a challenge, or a tragedy, they have pallets of bricks delivered to street corners so they can throw them through storefront windows. I mean, that, that, they just have no concept of seeing any, any of that the way we do. But we, we have our fair share of people on our side who engage in, in kukri. One, one example, real quickly, is right after uh, the 2020 election, where, where Trump did, in fact, in my opinion, Trump won. And you, you have people on our side that would claim that Trump is still the president and the military is running the country behind the scenes. Well, that's just abject nonsense. And, and that kind of snowflakedom uh, has got to end. It does nothing to, to, to arrive at the truth. It takes too many people out of the fight. They don't get involved. They think, well, the military is in charge. I guess I can just sit back and, and, and relax. It, it's nonsense. Now, that might be a minority of people, but they make enough noise that I hear about it, and I try to squelch it out. So we engage in reality. We engage in, in uh, determined prayer and determined patriotism, as I say, and we march forward knowing that, uh, that this country um, and the conservative movement is now and evidence of the obvious is sufficient. We are now the only party in American politics that aligns with the founding fathers. That's exactly right. That, that is 100% right. So, so you start the podcast from zero, basically, and, and you build it up. And I think you and I do maybe, I, I don't know, you tell me, I don't know if we do completely different things here. Mine is, it's not completely local. I've got listeners in every state, but there's not very many. Most of mine are within 300 miles of Kansas City or whatever because of my long time on the radio here in Kansas City. And it's maybe more of a local podcast. I'm guessing 
do you have more listeners in Kansas City than other places? Yours are probably not just nationally, but globally. You're, you, you've got people tuning into the right side, don't you? Yeah, we have. We do. We have. It's a global audience. It's a. And we will do um, every week or so. I'll pull out some emails that I get, and we'll we'll name off a few countries and some first names of folks that send things. And we've we've had you know almost every country. I think you know, with the exception of Russia, China, and North Korea, we've we've had emails from a lot of countries. And I'm not saying every single one, but several dozen. And it's a it's a global audience. I I um it's it's focused on the United States where I I'm a. I am my my show is as much as Rush Limbaugh did. He gave Rush Limbaugh's show is basically him giving his opinion and analysis about the state of play within America. That's what I do. I I am not an investigative journalist. I'm not a sports broadcaster. I love sports, and I'm I did a show this morning talking about the Super Bowl, as I said. But uh, it's it's my opinion and analysis about the state of play in the United States, specifically within politics and in the news of the day. And so are you amazed that you've reached this audience, that this has grown the way it has over two years? It's, yeah, it's, it's surreal in so many ways. It's a God thing in one way. And it's, you know, with, I was, when I started, Kevin, I was on, you know, as most people do, you look to YouTube and then I almost start a YouTube channel, which I did. And in January, uh, three years ago in January, I started the show and it, you know, if I got between January and September, if I got 500, 1,000 people to watch a show, I was going, all right, yeah, yeah. And then for those that don't know, if you, those commercials that you see on YouTube, that's part of what they call ad, uh, Google AdSense. You sign up, there's a metric they use. You got to get so many subscribers and have so many videos out there. And they and they pay you based on you know these commercials. Well, I you know, I get 40 or 50 bucks and go, well, this is not clearly going to work. I'm not going to be able to, I'm going to have to go back to corporate America. So um, I had a couple of, I, I was fortunate enough to meet General Michael Flynn and uh, Mike Lindell and a couple of other folks. And they came on the show in November, that first uh, January of 2019. And a million people started, there's one show I did with Flynn where a million people watched the damn thing. And, wow. and I, I was blown away. And, and then it was, I mean, it was much more than beer money at that point, but you, but YouTube, of course, when the metrics go up and they look at the program, Oh, this is a conservative guy. So by January, the second, the beginning of my second year, they canceled me. So I was back to, to square one, but we have a website up now and we have some other things that we're doing. We have the billingsreport.com, which is a series of news um, venues and articles and so forth. And people can subscribe to the website if they feel it's everything that I do is free. I don't charge for the show. There's a, there is an ability to voluntarily subscribe to the website. We have a newsletter thing, typical things that, you know, you and others do. And, and that's, and, and we're making a go of it. So we're, we're, we're able now to, uh, I am, I'm able to stay home and, and, and avoid corporate America. Mm-hmm. And if I look back, I don't know if you were ever in corporate America, yeah, because I, I look back, I hate it. I, I, yeah. it, it takes, it took me the advantage of having this hindsight to understand how much I really hated it. Oh my God, I hated it. Yeah. And I'm loving what I'm doing now. Ditto. Me too. And it's fantastic. So, <laughs> okay. You mentioned YouTube and basically getting canceled because you're conservative. And I believe in a company's right to run their business the way they want to do it. I'm also concerned that big tech is controlling too much of the information in this country and, and more importantly, keeping information that people need to hear away from people. Okay, so we, we know all about that. We've seen the Twitter files. We've seen it everywhere. But you just gave a great example of what YouTube did to you. 
Here's what I understand, Doug. I, I know that, you know, we got a, a First Amendment. There's all kinds of issues here that we have. These companies can be what they are. But I always equate this to like a cigarette package where there's a warning on the side that says the Surgeon General has determined you shouldn't smoke these things or it could kill you. Well, hell, we all know that anyway. And it's on yeah. there. I feel like these information companies, these tech companies, should at least have to do some sort of disclaimer of what they are, identify themselves for what they are. That would be a regulation within the industry. That's not censorship. That's not telling them they can't run their business the way they do it. I just think we should have to identify this. And if YouTube wants to come out and they have to do some sort of an identity that, hey, we're YouTube and everything we do leans to the left and we're censoring conservatives, what would be wrong with some sort of regulation that makes companies identify exactly what they are? I don't think there would be anything wrong with that. I think you're exactly spot on. That's what they should be doing. I, you know, and I, and I agree. I, they can run their business any way they want to. I understand I have a conservative uh, perspective and approach. And if they don't, then, and, you know, I, I, in HR, we, you know, when I was in corporate America, we, we, can, we, we should be able to hire uh, who we want. We should be able to have the people around us in our companies who are best for the company. You know, and it, it reminds me, you know, ironically, just the uh, last week, Kevin, when the, uh, when the China spy balloon uh, incident was, was floating across our country, I, on Facebook, I go, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas posted, so he must've been at home. He said, I'm sitting, standing here at Northwest Kansas outside my, my, uh, my home. And I'm looking up in the sky and he had taken a picture of this, of the balloon and he posted it on Facebook and didn't say much more than that, other than I'm in touch with the officials in Washington. I'll keep you guys posted. Yada, yada. That was about it. So I reposted Senator Marshall's post on Facebook, and I got put in you know, Facebook jail for 30 days. Well, you violated our community standards. I'm going, what? What are you talking about? I, I posted a, a comment, a repost. I didn't even really comment. Uh, I just reposted Senator Marshall's comment about the spy balloon. And it's amazing. Um, I, they, they just hassle you. They shadow ban you. They do all sorts of things. If, if you become, you know, it, 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 I guess if you have a large enough platform, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way just to say, well, this doesn't, uh, you, you violated our community standards. And ironically, you know, they never tell you, they never point out which community standard and the, the pay, the, the community standard, you know, book or whatever it is, is probably a million pages long. I've never read it. I, I admit, but come on, all I did was repost a picture of a balloon. <laughs> wow. So we've yeah. learned a ton about the tech companies through the Twitter files and big tech. We, I think you and I, and this audience here, is pretty well versed on exactly what they've been doing. My question for you is, or other than just learning what they're doing, are we gaining any ground on having this be a better situation for America? Or is this futile? Are the big tech companies simply too big to be afraid of the government? No, I think, um, you know, he's not a perfect example of what we would hold up to as what we think the ideal would be. But, but thank goodness that Elon Musk is doing what he's doing. And thank goodness he is, calling out Twitter and, and, and releasing the Twitter files. We've seen now that the former uh, executives over there at Twitter were working with the FBI. Uh, they did, you know, they mislabeled the Hunter Biden laptop issue as Russia misinformation when in fact it was all true. Things that they, you know, that they tried to throw against President Trump, whether it was Russia collusion, China collusion, whatever they threw up against him, tax problems, tax, you know, they've got his tax records now. Nothing of, nothing of substance is there, nor has it ever been. So yes, the short answer is yes, we are making headway, but we have to remind ourselves, Kevin, that, that the radical left in this country has a tremendous head start on us. They began to get active in their local levels of government back in 1897. 
Now, I throw that number out there because it's a true number. I'm, I did a, a series, the history, I call it communist socialism, the blending of communism and socialism together. And so I, you know, when you look at the history of the radical left in this country, 1897, there was actually a candidate for president who was a communist. And he, he polled in the 20% bracket. He was not a strange, he was not um, unknown. And, and, and my point being that through, from then to today, members, members of the public, John and Jane Doe, who identified as Democrat, got involved in their local level. They became activists with the help of the Carnegie's, the Rockefellers, and so forth. They infiltrated the, uh, the education systems, so forth and so on. And we are now in this predicament we are in today. This nightmare did not happen overnight. And if we're honest with each other as conservatives, we have to begin to admit that although we got involved on election day, we didn't get involved at other times. And I mean school boards, county commissions, canvassing neighborhoods, going into schools. You know, we just have not been involved. And so therefore, here we are. Um, And because of Elon Musk, because of now our awakening, quote unquote, to all of this, more and more conservatives are getting involved. But we've got a long way to go. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight, but we're making headway. Yes. You were kind enough a couple months ago to have me on your podcast. I was honored to be on the right side with you. Thank you for that. And I said at the time, let's, let's, well, I'd love to have you back on, but let's let the GOP house get settled in a little bit and see what they do for a few weeks before you come on mine. Because I really respect your opinion on this. And I, I just, I'm dying to know what you think of what Kevin McCarthy has done to this point and where the Republicans are with the House. Are you optimistic that they can make a difference over the next two years? Yeah, yeah. And so let me, in, in full disclosure and transparency, I was not a fan of Kevin McCarthy. I, I am not completely, uh, I'm not in his camp completely, but let me explain. So I, I've done shows where I've actually called for the removal of McDonald. McCarthy and McDaniel. So Rona McDaniel, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, the mix, the MCs, said these guys have got to go. They're deep state, they're establishment. They're not doing Trump any favors. In fact, they try to impede for every candidate Trump endorses. They, not, not every candidate, but a majority of them, they try to impede and prevent from getting into office. So this was a problem. It's a huge problem. It still is a problem. So I was railing on Kevin McCarthy and the other, the other MCs, as I call them. And the and people, when this process was going on, when they were trying to elect a Speaker of the House, it went six, seven, eight, nine, whatever votes, whatever, however many people are going, oh, my God, this is a circus. They're embarrassing us. What in the hell is going on? Folks, you need to read a book about what a republic is. That's exactly the process by which we should have gone through, through that process of voting and negotiations and, and, and coming together to reach um, to, uh, uh, compromised within the Republican Party, we got tremendous concessions from Kevin McCarthy going forward, reading bills. Imagine that. We're going to be allowed to read bills before they come to the floor for a vote. And we're going to, we're going to have other advantages going in. And if he doesn't perform, we can vote him out. It, it, it was a great process. I was very happy with it. Not an embarrassment. It's exactly how it is supposed to happen by design. That's how it's supposed to happen. Now, he, they have. Jim Jordan is the head of the committees. They've gotten rid of the Adam Schiff's of the world, serial pathological liar, Adam Schiff. They're taking Ilhar Omar off, off of her committees. They're, they're, they're doing great things. Now, what we need to begin to see are subpoenas to begin to look at the FBI, I think, and the DOJ first, the weaponization of those departments, the raid on President Trump's house is the prime example, uh, but other things as well. 
we need to we need to see this begin to happen and we need to take action. I, I'm hopeful and I, I like what I see so far. I got a text from my brother-in-law during the State of the Union address last week, and he's 21, 22 years younger than I am. And he said, how in the world is it all these really old people are running this country? And he's not being an ageist, okay? I I think what he's saying is look at these people that have been there for 40 or 50 years, and Biden is chief among them. But certainly there's Pelosi, there's McConnell. They're on the right and they're on the left. Where do you stand with term limits? Because I, I just, I think somebody like Nancy Pelosi that gets that seat in California and just sits there, or Joe Biden in Delaware that just gets there and stays for 50 years is just inherently bad for America. I don't know that I have the exact solution. But where do you stand on this? And do we need more turnover in our government? I don't believe for any amount of time that the founding fathers of this republic intended service in politics to be a career. I just don't believe that's what they intended. And I therefore am for term limits. You know, George Washington set the the best example. George could have stayed in office for his lifetime if he wanted to. And he said after after two terms, no, this is not what the presidency is supposed to be. He leaves. And almost all of those initial founding fathers viewed it that way. Uh, so term limits, I, I'm for them. And with you, we would have to muddle our way through how we approach that. It, would there be a grandfathering clause in for those people that are in there now? Would, would, you know, what, what do we do? But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a couple of terms, maybe, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to know if we should get into specifics. We, don't, we probably don't have, but that's a topic for another day, another time. But yes, I'm for them. I am for term limits. Precisely because I don't think that the founding fathers intended this to be a career choice. I, I could also make an argument for for experience here. I mean, I I would think five terms in in the House would be enough. That's ten years. And if you and if you listen, if after ten years you can go, if you haven't become a senator in your state by then, uh, you probably should get out. It's time to move on. But you can't just be grandfathered like Emanuel Cleaver and just sit there in your district and never get any new ideas or new people coming in. Exactly. That's what drives me crazy. But I also don't think we want to turn the house over every four years because there is something about experience and people who've been there and kind of know what's going on. I think that would be important for leadership. But to me, it's like the president can do eight years. Maybe the house can do 12. A senator can do two. That's 12 years. That's enough. We don't need people there for 50 years. Yep, I I agree. I I would want you know I I'm still not convinced. I wouldn't want the president to have you know his term instead of four years be six years, and and let them you know let him if the people vote him in twice let him have the twelve, but then get out and then he's out. I, but yeah, we can we can talk about the rubrics of all of that. But uh, you're right. We need to have experience. Uh, we also look back. I mean, I don't know the founders didn't have any experience in any of this. Right. I mean they right. I mean they they. And they put together the most brilliant plan and, 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 and republic that we've ever seen. Um, you know, it, it uh, yeah, I'm for them. I, yeah. I think we should find a way to do it. All right. So China's been throwing balloons around over here. Uh, I think we got a total of four of them at this point. We assume it's China, although they won't say the latest three are. Uh, you know, uh, UFOs is all, by any definition, they're UFOs. And we're just <laughs> shooting them out of the sky. And I'm wondering if you think that, because I'm of the belief that there isn't a whole lot they can gain by flying these things around that their satellites don't already get on some of our ground positions. There's some, they can get some better clarity and there's probably some benefit to it. I personally believe they're more just poking Joe Biden with a stick here. They're saying this feckless dude has got no game and we're going to do whatever we want and embarrass him on the world stage. Do you think this is more about poking America and especially Joe Biden 
or do you think it's really about the Chinese gleaning information? I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, you know, it'll be interesting if we ever find out, if they ever tell us what they found off the coast of South Carolina when they shot this thing down or whatever landed in Lake Huron up there in Michigan. I, it, it'll be interesting if they, if they actually tell us. Um, here's what I know. China, there's a problem here. Now, China, not just with balloons, but China is buying up farmland in the United States at record numbers, multiple millions of acres. And that's a problem. Uh, and they're buying land that, ironically, is is not too far away and adjacent to military bases in America. And so I, for the life of me, I don't understand why that's allowed. Uh, there may be people in the room that are smarter than me that know, but I, I don't see any reason that that should be happening. And so that's checkbox number eight. Now, these balloons, yeah, I think I think you're on to something. I think if they're making a mockery of Biden and this, you know, our borders are open at the southern end. Now our airspace is fair game. I mean, come on. It, it, it's an absolute joke. And uh, it, it, yeah, I, I, I don't, you're right. I think their satellites probably pick up anything they want already. I don't. It, the, the embarrassing part for me, Doug, is this. This president can't even speak on it. Like any Republican that was president right now, and it, of course we want to use Trump as an example, he'd be doing updates every day. Every time one of these things would happen, he'd give a statement or he'd come out and answer questions from reporters and say, here's what's going on. Or he'd on. shoot out a tweet about it. Yes, or and yeah. he'd be sending messages to Xi and the whole thing. And we get John Kirby. And John Kirby's nice enough dude, I'm sure. But, you, I mean, you can't send KGP out there to talk about it. She doesn't even, no. I mean, she's completely <laughs> clueless on any of this stuff. It is unbelievable how bad we are right now at the executive level in the United States. And Joe Biden cannot say anything to inform or reassure Americans. That is gone, and we see that in his polling numbers, and we saw it in the ratings of the State of the Union, which was an epic collapse of ratings. I mean, it was it was unbelievable what happened with the television ratings with the State of the Union. This country has tuned this president out because everybody has decided that he's not even there. Like, he's just he's just not, he, he's not the guy. Whatever's running our country, it isn't him, so he can't even say anything. How are we going to get through this thing? If, they, if China keeps doing this, how do we get through this? This is completely and utterly embarrassing. It, it, it really is. He, Joe Biden, I never thought I would live long enough to see a president worse than Jimmy Carter, right. but now I've seen it times 100. I mean, it, he is the most irrelevant president in our history. His presidency has no relevance whatsoever. And the only, the only bright spot in all of that that you talk about there, Kevin, is that I guess, you know, we look and we say, well, 2024, it's only 18 months and, and we're going to be in this, you know, electing another president and it's not that far away. So that's, if, if, if that can be any solace at all for people, that's, that's one thing, but yeah, it, it's clearly, I mean, anybody that thinks there's going to be a course change with regards to keeping China accountable or any other country, Russia or whatever, is, is they're living in Cookville. I mean, it, there is no way that this administration um, under Administrator Biden is, and I don't call him the president on purpose. Administrator Biden can't do it. He, he's, I don't know if he's in, you know, does China have something on him? Is the Hunter laptop? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know, but that, you, yeah. you, that, that's gotta be part of the discussion because you know, he's certainly not acting presidential. He flew over there in air force two five times with Hunter aboard on business dealings. Yep. We know that he's compromised in China. Now I'm not going to predict this, but I'll, I'll throw this out there because I think this is possible. I think there's a chance that Biden runs, we know Trump is running. I think there's a chance that they both run and neither of them wins the candidacy. I, 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 think, I, I think Joe Biden has hurt Donald Trump and I love Trump, 
I think he's hurt him. I think a lot of people are like, nope, we can't have old people anymore. We're, it's time to move on. We got to have somebody younger. I feel it. I hear it from people all the time. And I, I wonder where we are with somebody that's almost 80 or in their 80s to be president of the United States. And I think Biden may actually be dragging Trump down. What, what do you, how do you think this plays out? Does Biden run? He's going to get primaried. Some people are going to run against him. They'd be crazy not to. And it looks like DeSantis is probably going to run against Trump. How do you think this all plays out? I think that, um, you know, Biden will Biden run. That's the big question mark. I, I can speak pretty strongly and plainly on the other topic about Trump. I, I, I don't know. If Biden, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He might, he, he's such a laughing stock right now. I can't imagine that the, the Democrats would have him allow him because let's face it, it's not going to be his choice. They're either going to let him do it or not. And, and we'll see now with Trump, Trump is, um, Trump is the only person on the planet who has proven that he could do this, that he is, he's the only person on the planet. And I mean, this words are important with the only one who has proven that he can stand up. I the, the greatest thing that he did in his presidency was the fact that he pulled back the curtain of the deep state and he identified it and called it out for us before that presidency. We did not do that. And he did it and he called him out and he went face to face and they know it. They know that he's the only one that can do it again. And therefore you have everything they've thrown against him from whatever collusion, from whatever scandal, whatever they're trying to do, the raid at Mar-a-Lago, whatever they're trying to find on him, they're trying desperately to find something to pin on him. So it would be impossible for him to ever run for president again. So he's the only one that can do it. DeSantis. I love DeSantis. I think he's he's a pretty good guy, but DeSantis is deep state. He had dinner last weekend with Dominion lawyers and these election people that are defending the election machine process. Now I have a big problem with that. I'm I'm one of these people that believe that the election was stolen, Kevin. And I'm one of these people that believe we've got to take a good hard look at how we approach elections in this country. Now DeSantis could never stand up to the deep state that the way Trump DeSantis would be eaten alive. Now he's done great things in Florida. And I, when I meet with the president, I'm going to, I've advocated that I don't know if they've got a real disagreement or not. This might be, you know, it's typical in presidential election cycles and campaigns to hurl mud and sling insults at your opponent from within the same party. I mean, we see it all the time. Uh, is there a real disagreement? Is there a real dislike between these two guys? I don't know the answer, but I do know this. If Trump put DeSantis on the ticket as the vice president, they would be, they would be invincible. And we want, after all, 12 years in the White House, four with Trump and eight with whomever else. Is that DeSantis? Maybe so. And then DeSantis and a Kerry Lake or whoever you want. You know, plug in your favorite, most tangible VP after Trump and DeSantis. But I, I like DeSantis. I don't think there's anywhere. I, I don't think that he's going to get the nomination. I do think Trump will get it. I think that the Mitch McConnells of the world and the rhinos and the deep state will do everything they can to prevent it. But I think that the base that Trump has, uh, despite whether or not people like mean tweets or not, I think Trump's going to get the nomination. I think if he, yeah, he's going to get it. And I who, think he's going to, yeah. Who do you think the Democrat will be? Um, are you, are you, let me, let me rephrase that. I think if Michelle Obama gets in, if they can talk her into doing this, I think she wins the whole thing and she's going to be there eight years. And I think it could be the end of America. I'm, I'm, I'm a defeatist on this one, Doug. I, I don't yep. know how you stop her. I don't know how you'd stop her. And it doesn't matter if she's qualified or any good. She's just going to sit there and say, well, Barack's going to be here every day. And people will think they're voting for Barack Obama for eight more years. I think it would be, I think they know she's invincible. And I am scared to death because eight more years of this, 
We're never getting it back. Yeah, I don't. I think they're going to go Gavin Newsom. Okay, I'll I'll take my chances there. That'd be yep. great. I I I think they're going to do and you know and people will say, well, he's related to Pelosi. Nancy, well, through divorce, twice removed cousin. I mean, he's not really a close relative of Nancy right. Pelosi. <laughs> I mean, so let's be honest about that. But I I think I think they're grooming Newsom. Um, the Michelle Obama thing, I've. Uh, yeah, I mean, I see, I see, I just don't think she's going to do it. I, I, yeah. I hope you're right. Our country, yeah. it's yeah. the biggest, our country, man, I, we need her not to in the worst possible yeah. way. And it looks, she's writing a book. She's on this tour. I mean, she's doing all the things that any candidate would do right now. Here, here's, here's what I, uh, regarding that and regarding, you know, the, the vote and everything, the elections, I, I don't, I, I believe the election was stolen. Are you in alignment with that? Do you think the election was stolen? I do, do but I don't Trump know won? how. I find it impossible yeah. to believe that Joe Biden got more votes than Barack Obama. And yeah. I find it impossible to believe that Trump's votes went up and he lost. So, no, I do not believe the outcome yeah. of the but, election. But I don't know exactly how. I To me, I know we talk a lot about voting machines. To me, I, I think it's more nefarious than that. And I think it's more local than that. Like you were talking about local politics. There are so many places in this country with population centers that are controlled by Democrats. It seems like it's very easy to run around and get a few thousand votes here, a few thousand votes there. And you do them in enough heavily populated areas and zip codes and you've got the thing. There is no way you can beat it. And I think COVID became the part of that. I think there's been ballot harvesting. I think there's been scamming at these drop boxes. I don't know if we've done enough over the last couple of years to be ready for the 2024 election, because we certainly didn't see a result of that in the midterms. I, you know more about this well, than I me, do. Have, me, have we done yeah. enough to clean this thing up? Yeah, let me, I'll talk about the midterms in a minute, but let me, so with regard, you saw, did you see the Dinesh D'Souza movie, Mules? You yes. Know, two, two, uh, yes. Yeah. So there, there, that's, that's a real deal. I mean, that's a real thing. And it's an, it's a, it's part of the, the criminality of what's going on out there. So I, and I, I understand this could be a topic for another show another day, but I, I believe the election was stolen and it's either, it's a combination of machines that are programmed and mules and people that are doing the harvesting. And you're right. People are out there at these drop boxes and we, and our side has not been involved in, in being paid election observers, drop box observers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We just have not been involved. We have shown up to vote. Don't get me wrong, but we have not been involved in the other, in the, in the, in the rubrics and in the management of, of elections. And so they stole this thing from us. I, I can't, I will never be convinced that John and Jane Doe on the streets of downtown Kansas City, Missouri, who identify as a Democrat, voted for Joe Biden. Right. I think some did, but I don't think when they look at what's going on, I think, and if they did, if they did, right now they're going, well, this year as hell isn't what I signed up for. This is not going the way I expected, and they wouldn't vote for him again. Nobody in their right mind with any sense of intellectual maturity could vote for this. I mean, I just don't understand it. So there's got to be theft. I mean, I, in Trump, look, look at the, you, you know, we're not the first people to sit here and say, well, look at the numbers that he gets at his, at his rallies and compared to Biden. Biden couldn't get 12 minivans in a, in a, in a group of, right. you know, retired nuns to show up at his deals. So it, it's, it's clear to me that something is, is wrong. Now, the midterms, we, I had predicted that, and I was wrong. I, I predicted that we were going to take the Senate and we'd have a sizable win in the House. Okay, um, that didn't happen. Now, but that was that D.C., Washington, D.C. If we look throughout this republic, 
we look at the republic and all of the elections that happened in the mid during the midterm and there were 240 conservative seats that were won by republicans and only 27 that were won by democrats that is a red wave and it happened at the local level that's huge because the local level affects our life much more drastically and quickly than the life in Washington, D.C. We can deal with D.C., but we have to deal with the local level first. Now that we've got this huge wave of folks at the local level, we can begin to make changes. And that means districting, districting maps, voting maps. It means we just had Mike Brown win, thankfully, in the state of Kansas for the chairmanship of the GOP in the state. And we're going we're gonna to get away from the establishment. And then that filters up to the top in D.C. Very People look at D.C. too often, for the, and they think that that's the litmus test. They think, well, gosh, we didn't take the House as much as we thought we did. We didn't even take the Senate. Uh, what the, how could we elect Fetterman? Well, the thing in Fetterman, they, they let the early voting is a problem. I'm telling you, it's a yeah. problem. People get out there and they say, let's vote early, everybody. And they vote for Fetterman because he's a Democrat. They didn't get to see the debate between him and Oz. And 700,000 people, by the time that debate rolled around, had already voted. They didn't get a chance to see the debacle that was that debate and what Fetterman did. Had they, I believe, I have faith in people, not everybody, but a significant number of those people would have said, wait a minute, I'm not going to vote for that guy. I don't think he's going to live through. I don't think he can handle it. And, and as it turns out, he, he can't. So I, there's, there's what I'm trying to get at, Kevin, is there's an abundant amount of hope out there. It's just that we have to continue to drive the message to get involved at the local level. And I have people tell me all the time, well, Doug, do you mean that you're, ta- you're talking about school boards and county commissions and election committees? And do you think that if I do that, we're really going to make a difference? Yes, a thousand times yes, especially school boards. If you run... Look, I know it's nobody's big bag of fun to come home after a long day of work and sit through a three-hour school board meeting. I get that. But when you run for these vacant seats and you win as a conservative, we're able to fire woke school superintendents. We're able to get rid of pornography in school libraries and and stop this disgusting talk about transgenderism in grade schools, kindergartens, and middle schools, and high schools. And we're able then to create an environment that is that prevents critical race theory. And I'll tell you this, in 2022, 14 states, because local conservatives got involved, have outlawed critical race theory. 14 states. That's a great start. So I look at the midterms in a completely different way and see a huge red wave, 240 to 27. Are you kidding me? We had a great night. Just don't pay so much attention to Washington, D.C., folks. Get involved in your local level. Well, I think we did get about 4 million more votes that night, and we never get the popular vote around the country, and and we did. I think that's what disappointed me the most. Oh, wow, we went out and won the popular vote and then didn't get the seats that we wanted, and I think that was – and again – I just don't know that I believe it. I don't trust the system. My wife's gotten where she doesn't trust it, and she says it all the time. And my concern is we always wait until election day to vote. We've got to coach people to do it early because here's what happens. And I know two people that did this in the midterm, okay? I know two people that didn't vote early, and they were going to vote on election day, and then something came up or they got busy that day, and they just, they're like, ah, my one vote doesn't matter, and then they don't go. When you have thousands of people locally, or hundreds even, locally, that would say, yeah, my vote doesn't matter. I, I can't do this today. I'm too busy. And you don't go on election day once that deadline is there and, and that's not your priority and you can't get it done. We've messed up bad. We got we to gotta train people to go do this thing early. We really do. I think, um, I think that's a, a problem that has multiple layers. Primary among them is a lack of patriotism. Yeah. I don't know unless you've got a child or some sort of emergency in a hospital somewhere. 
I think that we have to prioritize and understand uh, what patriotism really means in this country. And people will say, well, I don't want to go stand in line three hours on election day, Doug. Come on, Kevin, you're going to make me stand. Come on, man, three hours. (laughs) Well, let's think about the military men and women that have gone to the battlefield and died to give you the right to stand in line to vote at all. And let's begin to have a little bit of perspective about patriotism. Now, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm afraid that advanced voting is here to stay. I, I think it's you know it's far too yes. convenient. People are gonna not we're not gonna ever get rid of it. But let's not have election month, Kevin. Right. Let's not have election week. You know, I think why don't make election day a national holiday? Yeah. Give everybody the day off. Go vote. Get your stuff done and and be done with it. And 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 see maybe that's the way forward. But uh, we 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 we've we've got to look at what really is our priority. And I understand there's a lot of apathy out there and that's by design from the communist socialist party, the people that were formerly known as Democrats and ladies and gentlemen, in Washington, DC, there are no more Democrats. That party does not exist. It's communist socialism and they're not a pro America party. Evidence of the obvious is sufficient. Doug, you're amazing. I can't thank you enough for being with me on the podcast and congratulate you on all the success you're having with The Right Side with Doug Billings' podcast. Way to go, man. Way to make a difference. Act, I guess guys like us, it's probably act three at this point, not act two, but man, it's a lot of fun to reach people and and feel like we're doing our part or making a difference. And I, I congratulate and commend you and I can't thank you enough for being so gracious with your time today. Well, Kevin, you're a brother, and I appreciate what you're doing too. I mean, you're you. We're all in this together. We're all doing what we can. I love what you're doing, and uh, my gosh, if, if, did we just spend almost an hour together? Yes. I uh, I feel like I feel like I'm aging in dog years here. This is incredible. Went by fast. I think I asked you for thirty minutes, and we went a little long, but that's all good, buddy. <laughs> that's all right. You and I, I love it. Anytime you want to do something together, you got my number. You call me, and I'm there for you. Okay. I'm there. We'll do it. Back and forth. All right. God bless you. Oh, and you too, Doug. Unbelievable. What a what a true gentleman and great American patriot Doug Billings is. Again, his website is DougBillings.us. It is the right side with Doug Billings podcast. You can catch it most every day. Rooting out snowflakes and rhinos one at a time. We were so privileged to have Doug Billings on the podcast today. He's just awesome. It was brought to you by Jocelyn's Jewelry, 95th and Antioch, the jewelry you'll recommend to your friends and family. When you're there, ask for Cameron on the showroom floor or Dave. Either one of them's there. Cameron's good. Say, hey, Kevin sent me. Time to get something sweet for somebody sweet in my life at Joslyn's Jewelry, 95th and Antioch. Tickets for Less and ticketsforless.com. Chief season may be over, but there's all kinds of stuff to do in Kansas City. The Royal season is coming up. The Big 12 tournament is right around the corner. Plenty of games left at Allen Fieldhouse, Mizzou Arena, Bramlage Coliseum. Want to go see Monster Jam or Taylor Swift or Luke Combs or Beyonce? Springsteen, Blake Shelton, all available at ticketsforless.com. And here's all you got to know. The promo code KKHI always saves you money. If you want to call them in person, they'll also take the KKHI promo code over the phone. 913-685-3322. Promo code KKHI is typically good for 5 to 15% off your order. Memories for life start at ticketsforless.com. And bstock.net. You can ship these babies anywhere. They got $99 Samsung Galaxy tablets. Perfect as a starter tablet for a kid or a 10-year-old, 12-year-old just starting to get into this sort of thing, awesome. Bstock.net, or you can just visit them out there. I went out and met a buddy there last week who picked up a couple of great Samsung televisions for his new house, saved a boatload of money. I'm going to guess he saved well over $1,000 on the two TVs combined than if he shopped somewhere else. Bstock.net is located at 14680 
South Flaming Road in Olathe. All right, the podcasts are coming fast and furious this week. We're uploading them all early in the week as Kevin and Jessica are going to spend a little together time on the beach, the uh, undisclosed location in the Caribbean for the Keatsmans. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, and I just am so thankful that we've had Doug Billings on the podcast. He's great. Go check his podcast out anytime you like. He does really cool things. He interviewed January 6th political prisoner Jake Long from jail. All right. And Doug Billings is meeting with Trump in May. He's got a 45-minute meeting scheduled with Trump. Trump brings people in and, and picks their brain a little bit and says, hey, what's going on in the media? What do I need to know? What are the things that are out there that are important to people? And he's, I guess, got to know Doug Billings just a little bit. And Doug's going to be going down to Doral, Trump Doral, and meeting with the former president in May. This is great stuff. Doug is doing great work for conservatives and Republicans in America. And we were pleased to have him on, again, his website, DougBillings.us, right here on KKHI. Thanks for listening to Kevin Keatsman Has Issues, presented by Roberts Robinson Chevrolet Buick GMC. To get exclusive patrons-only podcasts, receive a weekly newsletter, and attend in-person patrons-only parties, visit kkhasissues.com and become a patron today. This has been a production of Crooked Tail Media Incorporated. (laughs)